If you had 20 minutes with a counselor, what would you ask? I'm Anna Nash. And I'm Julie Sparkman, the counselor with Restore Ministries here in Birmingham, Alabama. You are listening to Head to Heart, a podcast to help you connect what you know with how you live. Welcome. We're glad you're here. It is great to be back with y'all again. I don't know if you remember this, but I was here about four years ago. And at that time, I did a talk called Unhitching from the Crazy Train. Wow. Little did we know what was coming. Now, the entire world is hitched to a crazy train called COVID-19. And we are going up and down and sideways, changing direction daily based upon whatever the stats say and the numbers and the research. And we can't predict any longer if our kids are going to be going to school. We can't predict if we can travel to see loved ones if they're across the nation or just a couple of blocks away in assisted living. We can't even predict, I think this is scariest of all, we can't even predict our physical safety. Never before, never before has the entire universe been in such turbulent times. And the natural bent when we're in turbulent times is to hold on, to guard what it is that we hold most dear. What has the most value to us? And we're all frightened. And this has really manifested itself culturally in an outpouring of anger as we all seek to guard what matters most to us. Liberty, justice, freedom, equality, health. Now those might be universal values, but the way that we have all sought to guard them has resulted in a culture of rage and suspicion and self-righteousness. And as I participate in conversations, the conversations I hear in my head, the conversations I hear in my church, the conversations I hear everywhere, I can see it's far too obvious that the church, the body of Christ, has joined in the fight. We are also seeking to guard what we hold dear, but we are doing so often, unfortunately in a manner that has caused division rather than brought comfort. And perhaps this is because we are guarding and valuing and protecting the wrong thing. So tonight, I wanna ask you the question that God asked Adam and Eve in the garden post-fall. Everything was a wreck. And God says, where are you? Now, that's kind of a weird question because God knew exactly where they were. He's all-knowing. But Adam and Eve, they didn't know where they were. They were lost in a whole new world. But pushing aside all of the outer circumstances of destruction, God goes directly and zeroes into their heart, and he asks what I'm asking you tonight. Where are you? Because I believe in the midst of this outer chaos. That is the central question that we need to be paying attention to. When I first began counseling, I always used to ask my, my clients when they first sat in, in the room, I'd say, how can I help you? Or, hey, so how have you been? 
And they generally answered the same way, you know, like, oh, I'm good, my husband and I, we've been getting along great, or terrible, terrible, I had an awful fight with my coworker this morning, awful. So you see the focus there. The focus is generally going to be on my circumstances or the way that I'm responding to my circumstances, but not me about my circumstances. And it's pretty similar when people come to me for counseling. Uh, The couple says, we're fighting all the time. Help us find peace. How can we stop? Or the daughter or the spouse of an addict comes to me asking, how can we help get them or keep them sober? We tend to seek guidance from others to tell us what to do, believing that if we do externally, then we'll feel more at rest internally. And we become very attuned to reading the signs around us in order to decide how to stay safe. We read the emotions, the opinions of others in order to adjust ourselves. We read the latest report from Dr. Fauci or whatever source it is that you trust to discern what the future holds and how you can be ready for it. We seek to gain our bearings, if you will, externally. We move out to manage when things seem out of control, unsafe or unpleasant. We stabilize externally rather than internally. For example, I had a meeting in my home not too long ago Um, It didn't go too well. I mean, we weren't outright fighting or anything, but you you know how it goes among Christians. Uh, Underlying pretty significant tension and disagreement, but nobody was really saying it. And it ended, and it ended like that, kind of unresolved. And I was left really unsettled. And uh, without a thought, I found myself at my kitchen sink, furiously doing dishes, And just as I was reaching out to turn on the radio just to fill up the silence, I heard the question. Now, I'm Presbyterian, so I didn't really hear the question, but I heard the question. Where are you? What's going on in you right now? I forced myself to stop and go in and ask myself, what was I feeling emotionally? I was unsettled. I was nervous. I was disrupted. What was I feeling physically? Where did I tend to hold that? Well, in my hands, they were busy, busy, busy. That's how I was getting out my energy, that tightness of chest. And then finally, what was I thinking? Well, I was thinking things like this. Uh, We're all just too different to make this work. She doesn't respect me. Or, you know, um, his ideas, they really threaten me. So there it was, out. And I noticed just how uncomfortable I was with allowing myself to experience the impact of something when I had no control over it, or I couldn't necessarily change it. I couldn't guarantee that by doing something, I could change the outcome. I heard the tape in my head, and it was something like this. Don't acknowledge, allow yourself to feel, don't acknowledge what you can't control by working harder. Now for me, that's a pretty old tape. I could trace it back at least to when I was 14, and my parents divorced after 28 years. Now, as far as divorces go, they had a very amicable divorce. There wasn't a lot of shouting, wasn't a lot of fighting. They just they weren't believers, they weren't happy together anymore, they decided to divorce. And that's just pretty much what happened. 
So I got my cues, if you will, about how to handle this from everybody around me, and everybody around me basically said, it's okay, it's no big deal. They seem happy, which I monitored very closely, by the way. They seemed happy, so I was happy, or so I thought. See, back then, remember, you didn't ask kids how they felt when their parents divorced. Not to mention, most of the adults in my life at that time were so lost in their own pain and confusion that they weren't even aware of me. So I was also not aware of me. But I made lemonade out of lemons. The year right before my parents divorced, I had always been a C student, pretty much a social wallflower. But after that divorce, and four years later when I graduated from high school, I was an honor student, I was captain of the dance team, I was the sweetheart of the year in the boys club, and I even sang in the junior Miss pageant. So I was a success story. I learned to handle my pain, not by being aware of it, by being unaware of it, smooshing down and moving on. I learned to suppress my heart and live ahead of it, if you will. If you do right, I thought, your heart will catch up, but it doesn't. When we live like that, we learn to live disconnected from our hearts, and this causes us to, in essence, have no weight, no steadfastness. Kind of like a piece of driftwood in the middle of the ocean, we just go back and forth and back and forth, depending upon the movement of the waves. We live reactively rather than responsively to what's outside of us rather than what's within us. I had a client who said it to me really well one time. She said, when I asked her how she was doing, she said, I feel like all I do is bounce from thing to thing to thing, and I am no good at anything. I can understand. The proverb that we're gonna look at tonight, Proverbs 4.23, this proverb does not just tell us how to live. It tells us very specifically how we were designed to live. The context is very, very important, and it's found in the first three words, above all else, meaning, now that Christ has died for you, now that you have a new heart, now that you have a new spirit imbued in you that enables you to understand, discern, and walk out the previous Proverbs, now, above all else, keep guard over your heart, for from it flows everything you do. Now that, that's the exact opposite of what I've been describing, isn't it? It's the exact opposite of our natural inclination, which tells us to do rather than to be. It focusing on what you are doing rather than living attuned to your heart. It's kind of like driving down a highway as fast as you possibly can with your eyes on your destination, never paying any attention to your dashboard. You don't know if you're gonna to get to your destination that way, do you? Because the dashboard is what's telling you whether or not you're gonna make it or not. Because it is not determination to get to your destination that gets you there. It is the engine of the car that you are driving which will determine if, how, and where 
you end up. Our heart, as stated here in Proverbs, is like the engine. And it is our control center. And that control center has a control panel. And it tells us the condition of our heart. So this scripture then is an admonition. Diligently watch over your engine, your heart, which has indicator lights. You must learn them and pay attention to them. Now, I ask my clients how they're doing in a manner that truly gives each of us the information that we really need. Rather than just saying, how are you, and they describe their circumstances, I instead, I begin each session with a heart check. They look at three indicator lights to discern how they are. By the way, I have them do this in the moment, not cumulatively for the last two weeks, but just in the moment, number one. What emotion, emotions, are you feeling? Now, you have uh, posted for you a, a chart of emotions. Now, I know what you're thinking, maybe. Uh, that's such a counselor thing to do, feelings charts. I always, I thought feelings charts were the silliest things. Until I was in a small group, and we were going around, and we were supposed to describe a feeling, and they were all working off of this feelings chart, which I, of course, did not need, because, come on, like, who cannot describe their own feelings? Around, 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 until it gets to me. And I'm feeling, I was like a deer in headlights. I couldn't name it at all. Or I could just name some vague, uh, good. And suddenly I said, oh, okay, grab me the thing. Because here is the value of a feelings chart. It teaches you the language of the heart. And that is essential. Because it is one thing to say, I am angry. But it is another thing to be able to narrow that down to, I feel betrayed. That gives us so much more information for, if you will, diagnosis. Diagnosis so that we can deeply connect and I can help you. So, also, when they give me that feeling word, they're often tempted to say, I feel blank, because blank happened. And I always say, just a moment, just a moment. Just stick with the one word, or the two words. Stick with the emotion. Why is that? Because when someone is speaking in the language of emotion, when they're down there in their heart and they're saying, I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling betrayed, whatever, and then they get to because, they go right back up to their head and we start having cognitive talk. And what we're trying to do is get down deeper into the heart. So just answer the question only with the word or words of which different emotion it is. Number two, where do you feel that emotion in your body? If you had a body scan, what would light up? Where do you tend to hold emotion? Again, the reason that this is important is because this is the way that God has designed us. Each of us learn our uh, indicator lights in different ways. Some of us, for some of us, before we even realize what we're thinking or feeling, we feel a tension in our stomach or our heart starts moving fast. So, second question is, where do you tend to hold your emotion? Good or bad, where do you tend to hold it? And then finally, what thoughts are playing in my mind right now? now I don't want a narrative there, again, just a couple of thoughts like the ones that I said about earlier. She doesn't respect me, we're not really getting along in this, he threatens me. Couple of 
just the most recent things that have been going around in my brain. So the first step of guarding your heart is becoming attuned to it by reading the indicators. The more you do this, the faster you'll become at it, the faster you can access that really, really important data. Now, you're saying, but what if I access data and I don't like what I've accessed? It is not pretty. Well, I think it's essential for us to remember. If that makes you nervous, if that makes you scared, that's because for that moment you have forgotten who you are. You've forgotten the music of the gospel because Christ has paid for whatever is about to be discovered. And you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit within you, moving you to change. This is not on you. What a relief, right? It's just like, you know, when you sell a house. It's the worst day when you sell your home. The worst day when you sell your home is inspection day because you're nervous about all that stuff that he might discover and that's gonna cost you a lot of money and the closer he moves into something, the more nervous you become. What's he gonna see? What's he gonna detect? How much is this gonna cost me? Now contrast that to when you buy a home. Oh, you like inspection day. You wanna make sure that you find the best, most meticulous inspector you possibly can. Why? Because you wanna know everything. And when he looks at something closely, you move in closely too, and you ask questions. What do you think that is? How do you think that can be fixed? Now, what's the difference between the buyer and the seller? The difference is who pays for the repair. We get mixed up, and we forget. We are not the seller of the home that needs to be afraid of what's exposed. We are the buyer. It's done. It's finished. We can now afford to look deep because there is nothing that's not already paid for and we've got the dream team on it. So, look deep and it's okay. But watch, watch how you treat yourself with what comes up. I want you to imagine if a client told me something, you know, she tells all her stuff, right? And afterwards I say, whoa, that's a lot. Or do you think though that those thoughts match up with the word of God? Or when are you going to let go of this? Do those thoughts sound familiar to you? Now I would hope that if I said that to a client that that client would rightly fire me, why? Because soon as you say something like that to yourself, it has the exact same impact as it does if someone else says it to you. And what is that? You shut down. Growth stops, curiosity stops, game over. Everything gets back right in the box. But here's the thing about getting back in the box. If there is no dealing with it, there is no healing from it. It has to come out. So we want to practice curiosity rather than condemnation. We do not evaluate or correct anything yet. We are just getting it out. And remember, you can afford it. Now most of the time, a heart check 
is really all you're gonna be able to do. It's not a deep thing. It can be take, done fairly quickly, about three minutes or so. Um, and most of the time, that's all you're gonna do and sometimes that's all you have time to do. But if something is brought up, if you've been triggered by some trauma in the past, or if something is revealed, as happened with me, that says, hmm, something in there needs to be attended to. Take the time to do it. Maybe it's not then. Maybe you're just gonna have to flag it and remember to pick it up later. But that afternoon, I had the time and I was alone and I could attend to what I had just discovered in my heart. So after asking myself, again, remember those questions, what are you feeling? Where do you tend to feel it? What thoughts are flying around? After I asked those questions and that came up, at that point, I had to just stop. Be still. Hold it. Just hold it. Kind of like you hold a goldfish bowl that has gravel and water in it. Just let it settle. Just for a minute. Don't fix it. Don't evaluate it. Just hold it. And then, when you're ready, ask, Jesus, how do I attend to my heart? What does my heart need? Now, again, if it is strong emotion, maybe you just need to breathe or play a worship song that settles you or journal or don't journal because that can make more emotion come up. Go for a walk. It's a variety of things. Uh, what I did on that day was some, what I call tape work. Remember what I said, and that was what? If you can't completely deal with it, if you can't fix it, don't feel it. That was my tape. So I changed my tape on that day to this. That memory, it's painful. And it takes me back to a sad time but I'm not there anymore. I'm here now. And I have what I need to face the hard stuff. I want you to see the way that I'm talking to myself. I am, if you will, validating where those feelings came from. Not being harsh with myself and yet moving on to a new place. Oh, see, that's, that's so absolutely critical for you. This is, this is hard work. This is really hard work. But one of the things that is most important is that when you are doing this work, that you would treat yourself the way that Jesus would treat you. And remember, Jesus says, he says, love others in the way that you will be loved. Love others the way that you love yourself. So you see, to the degree that we can hold our own stuff is the degree to which we are able to be holding that of others, which is so vital. When a friend or a child tells you something, it might be irrational or very, very painful. You know, there's a temptation, isn't there? Make them feel better. And how do we make them feel better? Get a Band-Aid on the wound as fast as possible. Wait just a moment. 
you don't even know where the wound is yet because it hasn't settled. So you're going to go through the exact same process when someone shares something with me. Hold it for a moment. Jesus, what does he need right now? What does his heart need? And listen. Now, as believers, both individually and collectively, we must, above all else, guard our hearts. But we cannot guard what we don't know. We must make space then in our lives, individually, to answer the question, where are you? And we must practice reading the instruments. I ask each of my clients to practice a heart check at least once a day. And remember, what am I feeling? Where am I feeling it? What thoughts are flying around? Now, by the way, this isn't just something negative. It can also be positive. When I'm driving home and I see a, well, when I used to drive home, when I used to drive, period. Driving home and seeing a beautiful sunset. I can do it right then. Or when you walk into the den and the kids, they're not fighting, they're just curled up like cute together, like in the little ball watching a video, and your heart just warms. Do it right then. Heart check. I guard my heart by being aware of how what is happening around me is impacting me within, emotionally, physically, and cognitively. So like reading the instrument panel of the car, heart awareness, it alerts me to what adjustments need to be made to continue on in my journey towards my destination. Wisdom tells us we must guard our hearts by not giving foolish or evil sources access to our hearts. But how do you know what's foolish? How do you know what's evil? The filter of our hearts is the scripture. Daily time communing with God by reading his word is essential to build a strong, solid filter through which what I decide what to let in. Now, I'd be lying to say that each time I have time in the Word, I have a Shekinah glory experience, and every single time there's some illumination that just comes right off the page. Generally, that isn't exactly what happens to me. Most of us, I think, um, reading the Word is a lot like taking vitamins. I take my daily dose. I don't really feel any different at the moment, and I don't really have any idea how vitamins work, but Somebody tells me that they do work, and so in faith, I take them. And day by day, something is happening slowly that I can't see. I'm becoming stronger, and I'm getting protected from illness. Years of opening my heart to the Word myself and also under sound teaching in the church has given me a storehouse, a treasure, to guard. That's what the Proverbs is talking about. That treasure guides me, and it also exposes lies that I have allowed access into my heart. Some of those lies come from within me, my past, like what I was telling you about earlier, and I can replace them with the truth, as I spoke about earlier. But some of those lies come from outside of me, podcasts, 
Facebook, Instagram, dinner party conversation. You remember dinner parties. You used to eat with people. You could see their face. Friends, leaders, we gain this information. Be careful. Notice how is this impacting your heart. If listening to something, reading something, etc., causes you to end up in despair and fear, and then that despair and fear works its way out in anger and self-righteousness, don't allow it access. How do I decide whether or not I'm going to allow it access? Not just merely also what the scripture says, but also by me paying attention to what's it doing to me. And sometimes what affects me strongly might not affect you. So you can't necessarily tell me with authority, other than the scripture, what website I need to be listening to. I have to pay attention to how it impacts me. And I know how it impacts me, again, I know what's inside by the way I'm acting. When I become self-righteous, small, angry, belittling, I know I've allowed something in me that doesn't belong there. I need to guard my heart against anything that causes me to experience fear that comes out in self-righteousness. I believe this. This, not COVID, this is the driver of the rage that we are seeing in our world today. Our sovereign, powerful God, not a vaccine, is our hope. And this truth rooted in my heart, this is what must be guarded above all else because that is what the enemy is going after. That is your assurance. So watch over your heart. Read your indicators that God gave you to detect danger. Know the state of your heart and offer that heart to the Father for stabilization. To the Father. Then, move into your world unafraid. Unafraid to hold the pain of others to hold the fear of others with hope. Hope that comes from a heart that's steadfast. When someone is steadfast, they don't have an agenda. They're safe, and there's a winsomeness to them because their only agenda is love. That is what our world needs. That is also what you and I are called to. The only ultimate calling we have is to bring Christ to each place where we end up. That is your highest calling. That is the thing to pay attention to, and that is the thing that you are equipped for. Move into your world. You're the ones with the truth. But watch. Is that what you are living out of? Are you living with a congruent heart?
Are you aware of the condition of your heart? Do not be afraid of it. Offer that back to the Father and move, move into your world as gentle but fierce women whose fierceness comes not from an agenda, from, but from a belief in a God that has us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's so much stirring in us right now. Help us to be still. Help us to trust your spirit in us. And let us wait long enough for you to speak. Teach us, Jesus. Teach us the language of the heart. And even more than that, oh, Father, teach us to go to you to be stabilized. There is no more stability anywhere else. And Jesus, would you make us women who move courageously into this world, living out of a belief that we are the beloved and you are on the throne and we need not be afraid. In your name. Mandy Miller, and I'm the Products and Resource Coordinator at Restore Ministries. For more information, to order products, or to connect with us, please visit our website at restore-ministries.org. Also, we are a nonprofit ministry, and we rely on donations from people like you to fulfill our mission. If this podcast or any part of our ministry has been an encouragement to you, please consider donating by going to our website. Thank you for listening to Head to Heart.